It is so good to be back in the saddle, you know? So good to be back with Kerwinsville Alliance. If you would, would you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12? We are going to spend a lot of time in that passage this morning. There is a Bible app event for this that makes it even easier. Uh, If you didn't think to bring your own Bible, there's probably one in a pew rack near you, a chair rack near you. You can follow along that way if you'd like to, not to worry. I will read it to you no matter what, so you'll not be lost in the service. We are actually continuing a series on Bible stories today. We started out, maybe Noah and the Ark. We went through the Tower of Babel, the Abrahamic Covenant, and here we are at Passover. And I'm going to talk to you about the Paschal Lamb um, and just talk to you about the meaning of the Passover uh, in our lives today. God times things just right, just the way he desires. Did you ever think of this? He timed his own crucifixion in his own timetable. You know that's true. For example, because in passages like John chapter 7, verse 6, it says, Jesus was speaking to his brothers and he said, my time is not yet for you, any time will do. Timetable. Jesus times his crucifixion just the way he wants it to be. And he happened to place it to coincide with a Jewish feast called Passover. The calendar, all 365 days of it, is just filled with Jewish feasts. He chose the feast of Passover. I remember when I was younger, I was talking to a a Jewish gentleman. He happened to be a, a doctor, and I was at a picnic, and he was there as well. And he was eating sausage. And as he's eating the sausage, for some reason, he just looked at me and said, I'm going to hell. And I said, pardon? Yeah, he said, I'm going to hell. I'm Jewish, and I'm eating sausage, and it's delicious. (laughs) Pork, you know, because Jews don't do that, right? And I said, well, I don't know if that'll send you to hell or not. And he said, well, it's going to, because this is the Day of Atonement, and that is our most holy day. I'm in trouble. And we kind of talked a little bit and laughed about that. But think about that sentence. The Day of Atonement is the most holy day on the Jewish calendar. I feel like somebody's just going to come up to Jesus and say, hey, you know what, Jesus? You might should have picked the most holy day to sacrifice yourself. Because aren't you coming to do atonement anyway? What are you picking Passover for? You kind of missed it there, didn't you? But of course, he didn't miss it. He chose Passover for a very specific reason. And I want to show you that reason as we explore Exodus chapter 12 today. There's 51 verses here. We're not going to read all 51 of them, but you're going to feel like we did before we're done. And again, if you're visiting this Bible series, sermon, Bible sermon series, what is this called? Bible story series? That's what I'm trying to say. It's a little different than the way I normally preach, but I think you'll learn a lot from it, okay? Let me give you a little backstory first. The events that happened in Exodus chapter 12 happened over 1,200 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The people of God, Moses and the people of God, They are Jacob's children. Jacob's name is Israel, so these are the children of Israel. And they had gone to Egypt during a worldwide famine in the days of Joseph. And they had stayed there for four centuries. And during the course of time, they became enslaved by the Egyptians. Now, there's a lot of Bible stories that I, I would like to have covered, but we skipped them. For example, the story of Moses' birth. That's a great story. The the story of Moses' call. The story of Moses' confrontation to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Man, Charlton Heston, I got goosebumps just saying that phrase, right? Yeah. It's not hard to do those stories, but it does take a level of commitment, extraordinary level of commitment, both on the part of your pastor and on the part of the person listening to it. So we kind of skipped over those. But this story, we will not skip over. The Passover story, 
It is as central to Christian faith as is the Abrahamic covenant. Communion. The Lord's Supper, it springs from this story. Maybe it's better to say it this way, that this story actually provides the groundwork for what Jesus would say at communion and what he would do on the cross. When he took the bread and said, this is my body, he was celebrating a feast, the feast of Passover and the meal of Passover. When he took the cup and he says, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. The apostle Paul tells us that was one of the cups of Passover, the cup of blessing or the cup of thanksgiving. They were commemorating God's deliverance from that which held them in bondage in Egypt over 1,200 years earlier. Passover. It's a pretty central figure in Christian faith. The centerpiece of Passover is actually the lamb. Some of the very first words that were ever said about Jesus in public were spoken by John the Baptist. And I love the Elizabethan tone of the King James. As, as it's said, John the Baptist is baptizing people in John chapter 1. And in verse 29, as he's doing the baptism, he, he sees Jesus coming. And the scripture says, the next day, Jesus seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, I love this, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, first time anything said about Jesus in public, he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then after Jesus has died and been raised from the dead and ascended to the Father, the Apostle Paul is writing about him. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says for Christ, and he identifies him, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed, the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb. That's really the word I'm going to use today, the Paschal lamb. It is a Middle English word that means the Passover lamb. You may say, well, why don't you just say Passover lamb? Because I'm hoping you'll pay better attention when I say Paschal lamb, the Paschal lamb. Exodus 12 tells us a lot about this lamb. It says to us that the Paschal lamb is to be received personally. Let's dive into the text. Very first verse of Exodus 12, God is speaking to his leaders, Moses and Aaron, and the scripture says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Jesus, in, in Egypt rather, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Do you see the personal thing there? It's you personally are to do this personally for your household personally. It will not do to say, hey, I'm good. I'm one of the children of Israel. Yeah, it's kind of like Christians today. Sometimes you'll bump into someone who say, yeah, my dad helped build that church. That doesn't mean anything. Do you understand that? Because it's not your dad. It's you personally who needs to receive the Passover lamb. In verse 21 then, you see Moses speaking to the people. He's saying what God said to say. And and the scripture says, Then Moses commanded all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Personally, your families. You do it. But no sooner do we say that than we note that in verse 3, this Paschal lamb is to be received corporately. Now that word corporately is kind of a technical word. Almost always when you think of corporation, you think of Google or you think of Microsoft or you think of IBM or Ford Motor Company. That's not exactly how we're using it. Corporately just means as a group together rather than personally or in addition to personally. 
it is received corporately. Look again at verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel to do this together. Community. God is all about his people doing important things together. I say to guys that are working around a church or women, if they're doing something together or whoever is doing something together in a church, I have a slogan that I say and it goes like this. Never do a ministry alone that you can do with a friend. Corporately. Together. I don't know if you happen to see the news this week, but there was an article there about a guy named River Dave. How many saw that? Anybody see that? Ah, the early service beat you, man. A bunch of them saw it. River Dave was a hermit who lived in Canterbury, New Hampshire. Does it sound familiar now? At 81 years of age, he'd been living for about three decades in his little cabin alongside the river, and the property owner who owned the building that was sitting there that he was living in uh, had him evicted. And so River Dave said, I ain't moving. I'm a hermit. I've been here almost 30 years. I'm not moving. And so they had him arrested. There's mugshots of River Dave. I couldn't find one that didn't have a copywriter. I'd show you. He's quite a handsome-looking guy with a beard, clear down to here. It's pretty cool. Can you imagine the comments section on the news sites <laughs> and the Facebook sections? People are like, how can you evict an 81-year-old guy? He's a hermit. He's not hurting a soul. He wasn't hurting you. Why are you kicking him out of there? He, he just wants to get out of the rat race that is society. He wants to get alone. He wants to be alone. Leave him alone. And I can't tell you how many people I've heard say this sentence in the past probably two or three years. I would just like to get a cabin in the woods and get away from everybody. And just like the first service, a number of you are nodding, right? <laughs> yeah. Because we kind of admire or idolize or maybe we put on a pedestal loners and we, we think that would be cool to be a loner. Think of every tough guy movie that Clint Eastwood was ever in. He's almost always a loner. We kind of exalt that. But <laughs> the people of God are explicitly instructed not to be loners. And I would say this to you in sort of a strange way. Separating yourself from the rest of the body of Christ separates you from the presence of God. I got to tell you, I landed here this past uh, Tuesday. This is the first time I felt myself. Do you know why? Because I'm with you. <laughs> and God's here. There is a beauty to being gathered in community. And that's why the common scripture passage that addresses this, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm not going to point him out, but there was a guy here today. He was in the bathroom when I was in the bathroom, and I knew he was a visitor. So I said, hi, my name's Steve. And he said, yeah, and gave me his name. And I said, you've been here before? No, this is my first time. I said, it's a great church, but the preacher's a jerk, okay? <laughs> you want to know why I said that? Because I want him to feel at home here. I want you to feel at home here. I want you to experience community here that is healthy, that is good for you. And the preacher isn't a jerk. I'm the preacher. So it's just a joke. Hey, watch it there. Look, the worship leader's just laughing hard at that right there, right? Yeah, yeah. Community. It is a beautiful thing. And even as God is freeing his people from slavery in Egypt, he is teaching them the importance of taking the Paschal lamb together. Together. Corporately. Along those same lines, the Paschal lamb is shared openly. Verse four, if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people that are the, there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Yeah, so share it openly. Not closed, but openly with your neighbor if that is a need. There's this kind of crazy thing that happens to groups of people. It's not really a good thing, but it happens all the time. You might have a bunch of friends who go out to eat every Saturday night 
just, you know, half a dozen friends. Every Saturday night, we're going out to eat. Or you might have a group of buddies that go to all the football games together. Yep, we're carpooling all the high school football games together. Or you might have some friends that you go see the Altoona Curve with regularly. This is a group that goes every every couple weeks to go see a curve game. Or it could be a sportsman's club. Or it could even be the people of God. That we tend to create these groups that we're in and we love them and they feel good. And then we close the door. And that's not healthy. That is comfy, maybe. But that is not what God has in mind for his people. They are to share the lamb if there's more than enough for them. They're to share openly. And as they do that, they experience community. This Bible story tells us that the Paschal lamb is also a perfect lamb. The animals you choose, it says in verse 5, must be year-old males without defect. And you must take them, you may take them from sheep or goats. Without defect, why? A couple reasons. One is, in general, it's because you don't give God something you just assume be rid of, right? You don't give God the leftovers. You give him the best. But in this context, I believe there's a second reason that this lamb is to be without defect because this paschal lamb will be pointing ahead to the lamb of God who is without defect, who is without sin, who knew no sin, Jesus, the lamb without spot or blemish. In verse six, we see that the paschal lamb is a lamb that's going to be slaughtered. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, verse six says, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So after you select this lamb, then four days later, you slaughter it. It's not so much that you're burning it as a sacrifice to God, you're you're going to be eating it, and then you're going to do something crazy with the blood. I don't mean to be irreverent, you understand that. But face it, if you saw your next door neighbor take a paintbrush and a little basin of blood and go out and do what these guys are going to do, the word you would use is crazy. Crazy. Look what happens, this paschal lamb who is a protecting lamb. In verse 7, we read what God tells Moses and Aaron. God says they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. And then skip ahead to verse 22, and you see what Moses tells the people. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in a basin, and put some of the blood on the top and both sides of the door frames. Now, none of you shall go out the door of your house until morning. So they're making a paintbrush out of this kind of wild shrub branches and they're painting the doorway of their house with the blood of the lamb. Why? Why are they doing that? Why are they taking the blood of the lamb and painting their door frames with it? Well, I'm glad you ask because the very next verse, verse 23 explains it. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Huh. Huh. I don't know who it was this morning that just prayed that the blood of Christ would cover that family. Beautiful prayer. Because the Paschal Lamb protects by his blood. Those are just some observations about the Paschal Lamb. I want to talk to you about the Paschal meal, and and I want to just mention there's some bitterness to it for a number of different reasons. It says in verse 8, that same night, they're to eat the meat, roast it over the fire, along with bitter herbs 
and bread made without yeast. I guess if you're leaving Egypt after four centuries, it could be bittersweet, right? Because you're leaving all that you know, so that's kind of bitter. In fact, later, some of them will lament having left Egypt. And it's sweet because you're free from bondage. Who doesn't want that? And you're entering the promised land, so that's sweet. But in just a moment, we'll talk more about the bitterness that would have been involved on that night. Before we do that, though, I do want to mention that there's also a haste to this meal. Look at verse 8. It says, that same night they're to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. We don't have time for this yeast to rise. Verse 9, do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, roasted over a fire with the head and legs and internal organs. Don't leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it. Now listen to this. With your cloak tucked in your belt, you know, they're wearing long robes. We're going to pull that up. Why? Because we're going to be running, right? With your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. The haste is because the Lord is about to take action. And if you want to be part of it, you're going to have to step in line. You're going to have to follow in line. You see, God is about to deliberate them, his people from the bondage they have been in for centuries. And verse 12 tells us that God is, he is about to bring about judgment on evil. Look at verse 12 again. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. Now, if you've heard that dozens of times or hundreds of times, you're probably like, yeah, I know that. I want to say something I hate it when I see it on Facebook. Let that sink in. I hate those posts. I will pass through Egypt. I will strike down the firstborn of people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And when I think about that, I realize what God is about to do there. I understand some bitterness. It is a bitter thing to imagine that kind of death. Do you remember when you were a kid, if you watched Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, that whole movie was so over-dramatized, right? But do you remember that night scene and the people wailing because there were dead people in their home? Adult children, children, husbands, wives, dead, animals, dead. I take no pleasure in that. In that. And neither does God. It's better for God as well. In Ezekiel 33.11, Ezekiel that is, 33.11, we see God saying, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, or, but rather that they turn away from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why die, O people of Israel? God takes no pleasure in that. It was a bitter thing to witness. Now you might be tempted to feel that God is being unjust here. I mean, anytime you look at God doing what he does in the Old Testament specifically, sometimes you're like, whoa, that's harsh. Maybe a little over the top. And if in the honesty of your heart, you kind of wonder about that sometimes, I'd like you to think about a couple things. First, I'd like you to think of what 400 years of slavery must have been like, and it was hard slavery, according to the account. Second, I want you to think about the fact that from the beginning, God has given them every chance to do that which is right. But the response of Pharaoh is one of arrogance. 
Pharaoh says in Exodus 5, 2, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Buddy, you're going to meet him. Wow. And then think of the evil that Pharaoh, who was God in Egypt and his people, had done. One of the stories were skipped. I'm just going to go back and read you the verses. There's eight verses in Exodus 1, starting at verse 8. Listen to it. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them in forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more oppressed, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Pua, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that they have, that the boy is a, that the baby is a boy, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Hmm. See, I kind of remind you of this passage because we live in a society of secular Pharisees who love to pass judgment on previous generations without knowledge. We just do. Objecting to God's judgment while you're demanding justice for yourself is cosmic hypocrisy. We specialize in it. The angel of God's wrath is going to execute judgment. And it is the right thing to do. The people of God will be protected. Look at the very next verse, verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The blood of the paschal, the blood of the paschal lamb protects the people of God. And God wants them to remember this. So he establishes this Passover thing as a feast day. It's a holiday every year. Remember this. He establishes Passover. He establishes the Lord's Supper because the paschal lamb actually draws us to gratitude. Gratitude. It often carries us through our lives. If you can't think of something to be thankful for, What would that be like? Think of a life void of gratitude for a moment. How terrible would that be? Harvard Medical School posted a short article on the importance of gratitude about a decade ago. Just going to read you two sentences from it, maybe three. It was written around Thanksgiving. It said, for many, this time of year is tinged with sadness, anxiety, or depression. Research and common sense suggests that one aspect of the Thanksgiving season can actually lift the spirits, and it's built right into the holiday expressing gratitude. Uh, Good for Harvard Medical School. (laughs) Yeah, it is healthy to express gratitude. And the Paschal Lamb draws our heart to gratitude. The Paschal Lamb gives us gratitude for our deliverance. Think of the things that used to tie you down, the things that used to weigh you down, and how God has given you deliverance from it, freedom from that. And think of the things that are troubling you even today, things you struggle with, and know that God is going to free you from those things. He freed his people, verse 24, it says, Obey 
these instructions as a lasting ordinance for your descendants. And when you enter into the land, the Lord will give you his promise to observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Now, as soon as Moses is done telling the people that, then they bow down and worship. The very next phrase in, in that verse 27 says, then the people bowed down and worshiped because their immediate response was one of gratitude, even before it happened. Gratitude expresses itself in worship. Gratitude is a beautiful thing when someone has it toward you for a couple different reasons. Some of my favorite words, three of my favorite words, you were right. I love it when, when someone says that, right? My other three favorite words, they're new. And, and I, love, I love to hear these words. I probably heard it in the past four weeks. I probably heard it half a dozen times. I cherished it. Thank you, Grandpa. That was cool. Thank you, Grandpa. Wow. I loved hearing that because of what it did for me. Like, hey, I did something that my grandson loved. But I loved it as well because I knew it was good for him to know that he had value and to know that someone did something good for him and to appreciate that and have gratitude for it. It was healthy for him. And that's why God, why God draws you to gratitude because it's healthy for you. It's enlivening for you. It feeds your spirit. It lifts your heart when you have gratitude. And the Paschal Lamb gives us gratitude for God's deliverance. He gives us gratitude for God's protection. Uh, Let's read more from this Bible study. Let's jump down to verse 28. The Israelites did just what God commanded Moses and Aaron. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in a dungeon, and the firstborn of the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up! Leave my people! You and the Israelites, go! Worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go! And also bless me! Wow, that's the guy whose mind has changed, right? The Egyptians urged the people, verse 33 says, to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will die. And then you get down to verse 40. The length of time Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all of the Lord's divisions left Egypt. God himself protected them. Protected them from his wrath. Verse 42. Because the Lord kept vigil, that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. So while God was pouring out his wrath in judgment on the Egyptians, he was keeping vigil, keeping watch over his own. And he does that all the time. And it provokes us toward gratitude and thankfulness for his goodness. The Paschal Lamb gives us gratitude for God's provision. We're going to read two more verses, 15 and 51. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites and Egypt up by their divisions. He brought them out in freedom. And God provided the means of that freedom. You know, he did all the work. The people just had to be prepared to go when it was time to go. And Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he does all the work. 
He is the Paschal Lamb. He is the perfect Lamb. (laughs) He is without sin or blemish. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we could become the righteousness of God. He is the lamb for slaughter. He was led away and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth as a sheep to the slaughter. He is a lamb who is to be received personally. And the scripture says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. And he is a lamb to be received corporately. And we worship him together for he inhabits the praises of his people. And he is a lamb who is to be shared openly, not kept to ourselves, but always looking to build bridges with others so they can discover the grace that we have discovered. And he is a lamb who protects you. He protects you from God's wrath. He protects you throughout eternity. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You know, as I I think of the Paschal Lamb, and I, I think of the whole idea of eating that sacrifice and being part of all that, I can't help but wonder sometimes if there was just one guy who was kind of stubborn. I'm not doing that, you know. Wouldn't you pity him? Wouldn't you pity him? And yet that stubborn streak runs through me and probably through you as well. If you've never really opened your own heart to find the deliverance and freedom that comes from having the blood of the lamb cover your heart, if there's anything that's kept you from that, open it today. The scripture tells us that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That is the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. That is the Paschal lamb. And he is for you. If you need to find forgiveness of your sin and release from your shame and purpose for your life, and if you need, you know, just go back to that list. I, I need the perfect lamb. I need the protecting lamb. I, I need him. Tell him so. Turn from your own sin. I'm sorry, God. I know I've done bad things. And trust the lamb that was slain for you. I will follow you. Maybe you did that years ago. But maybe you're noting (laughs) that there's a little bit of Egypt that you find yourself tied to. Maybe you're struggling with some personal bondage in your own life. He is the powerful lamb who can break those bonds. And if you turn to him and say, I need freedom from this, he will bring it for you. No matter where you are, I would would beg you to allow the Paschal Lamb to build within you a heart of gratitude. Because if you live your life, especially if you live the Christian life from anything less than, than gratitude. It is not really the Christian life. It is a new religion. It is a new kind of legalism. It is a new kind of bondage. Allow the Paschal Lamb to feed the gratitude of your soul so that what you do is an expression of thanksgiving for him.
I want to pray for you wherever you are among those different kind of groups we talked about. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are the Paschal Lamb who was slain for our sins. I pray for anyone here who has really never opened their heart to you and they know they really need to get out of Egypt. (laughs) They really need to be free of the bondage that they find themselves in. I pray that they would personally, that they would personally apply the blood of the lamb to their own heart. And the way they do that is simply to look to you and say, Jesus, I need to be forgiven. I need a new life. I need to be born again. I want to turn away from the old. Turn away from my sin. I believe that you are the lamb who was slain for me. And that through the blood of the lamb, I can be forgiven, have newness of life, and release from bondage. And as they, even now, in the quietness of their heart, have prayed those words in the thoughts of their heart, I pray that you, Jesus, would grant them forgiveness and release and freedom from bondage, newness of life, and that they would walk from this day forth, August 8th, 2021, with an awareness that they belong to the the lamb that was slain for them and never go back to Egypt. I pray for those of us, God, who maybe made that choice to turn our hearts toward you years ago, but there's some Egyptian tendencies lingering. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, break them. Break them by your power, God, as we surrender to you. So that our lives would be marked by freedom and by joy and by gratitude and we could love following you. Thank you, Jesus was slain, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We are so grateful. In Christ's name, amen.